come to lead and come to preach, and you feel it too. And we asked uh, over, the, over a couple of weeks, both in Burlington and here in Belmont, we asked people to text an anonymous line things that you were anxious about or things that caused you anxiety in life. And we've asked throughout COVID and all our virtual services and everything, people to use this text line for a variety of reasons. And it's been great. We've gotten a lot of good questions. We've talked about different topics, big things that are happening in our world. And people would give us great responses and great uh, questions. We have not had anywhere close to the response that we got when we asked you to text in things that cause you anxiety. I mean, way more than ever before. And what I did was I went through those. There was about 100 responses, and we went through those, and we tried to pull out some things that were representative of many things that we heard. And some, a number of people suggested that, that they were anxious about school and the things that are happening here in September as school begins. A 14-year-old said, my school year and for my future. A 54-year-old said, my kid's college tuition. Someone who I'm not sure of their age said this school year for my daughter, given her attention deficit challenges. Someone who's 48 said, I'm afraid that my kid won't survive college. Work causes you anxiety. Someone said, I'm facing someone at work that's mean to me and I'm scared of this person. Uh, the direction my business is taking, work chaos, which just maybe uh, fits the bill for many of us. Work chaos makes me anxious. Failure. Uh, and I thought this one was interesting. Someone in their mid-40s said, trying for a promotion, getting it, and then hating it creates anxiety. People talked about things that are happening in our world. Someone wrote, and I love, I, I, I thought this combination uh, well, that they're anxious about my kid's future. That was shared by, oh, these are the ones, I'm sorry, shared by many people. Anxious about my kid's future. If you went through the decades, people in their 30s, their 40s, their 50s, their 60s, their 70s, even people into their 80s that sent us messages. Uh, they all said they're anxious about their kid's future. Anxious about my health and the health of my family. That was shared by all ages, from teenagers to the oldest respondents. I'm anxious because I don't feel the church is standing against the evil being pushed on us. Multiple people said that. It's something for us to think about. I thought uh, this was an interesting combination. Finding love, having children before I'm too old, inflation. Right? Those are the things that make me anxious. And other things happening in our world, economy, climate change, democracy, political movements. And then there were these big questions that people asked, right? How should I use the rest of my life? Someone in their 50s said, how should I use the rest of my life? And someone else in their 50s said, I'm anxious that all, I'm doing all that God has for me to do for his glory. And then that I won't know God's plan and make a mess of the life that he's blessed me with. Someone who's on the younger side of things. And I love this summary comment, right? I am like Charlie Brown. I am anxious about a lot, right? I thought that was a good summary of, of how many of us feel. And it's not just that I feel, and it's not just that you feel, our culture feels it too. I'm not gonna belabor this point with a lot of statistics because you could Google and you could get enough statistics 
to prove this true, but there are a couple of things that are happening in our culture that I think are worthy of mentioning. In 2009, it was was said that 18% of Americans are suffering from an anxiety, a diagnosable anxiety disorder at any given time, about one-fifth. But that if you talk about any American, uh, that over the course of their lifetime, 30% will have at some point a bout with a diagnosable anxiety disorder. But that's in 2009. That it doesn't have to, that doesn't factor in the impacts of COVID and the impacts of some of the things that we've walked through as a nation and the uncertainty of what might come. In fact, in 2020, in October 2020, the American Psychiatric Association did a poll that they do every year. And normally, when they do this poll, they ask people, are you more anxious right now than you were a year ago? And about a third of respondents say yes. In October 2020, 62% of Americans said yes. Over the last decade, anxiety has overtaken depression as the most common reason college students seek out a counselor. In 2017, it was reported by the National Institute of Mental Health that 38% of girls, 13 through 17, and 26% of boys in that same age range have a diagnosable anxiety disorder. One psychologist said, for many of these young people, the single biggest stressor is that they never get to the point anymore where they can say, I've done enough. There's always one more activity. And I've heard this a couple of different places. And when I first heard it, I thought to myself, there's no way this can be true. But there's a few very reputable sources. One of which is a, is a fairly well-known book called Anxiety Free by Robert Leahy. And it's this statement. The average American child today exhibits the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient did in the 1950s. And I think sometimes we can write this off a little bit and say something like, well, we just diagnosed this more. Like it's always been around, it's always been this bad, it's always been a part of our culture, but today we're just more informed or we have more doctors who are focusing on this, and so we diagnose it more. And I'm not sure that's, that's absolutely the case. I really have enjoyed this book that I read recently by J.P. Moreland, who is in his 70s now. He's a, a Christian philosopher and theologian, church planner, worked with Campus Crusade for Christ for a number of years. And he wrote this book a couple of years ago called Finding Quiet. And in this book, he talks about his own bouts with anxiety. In fact, he says within his lifespan, he's had two very serious bouts with anxiety, even as a Christian leader. And he says in the book, he says, I'm totally against the idea that today we have more anxiety disorders because we're diagnosing it more. He said, rather, everything that I've experienced and everything that I read says it's a combination of three things, he says on page 51 of this book. He said, it's the speed at which we live, the awareness that we have, and the lack of community or the extreme hyper-individualization way that we live. The speed at which we live, the awareness that we have, And the fact that so many of us live our lives without true community. 
Social media is not community, right? We know that. So we're connected, but we're not in community. And I tend to agree with that. I tend to think that he is, he is on to something, that there's this perfect storm that is in our culture. And the question is, for us as Christians, what do we, what do, we do about it? The one thing that that we have to recognize is that this anxiety that we face, what it is, let's name it for what it really is. Anxiety is the fear of what is unknown. We get the title for this sermon series from a book by Max Lucado called Anxious for Nothing. And actually, when you leave today, when you leave today in the back of the room, he has this little companion booklet called Less Fret, More Faith. It's based on this book. And we have a a copy of this booklet for every single person as you leave uh, today. So you can take that with you. But in his book, Max Lucado says this. He said, fear sees a threat. Anxiety imagines one. And I love that quote. Fear sees a threat. Anxiety imagines one. We get anxious about the what ifs. What if I preach and I have a pen in my shirt and I have a phone in my pocket and then somebody doesn't pay attention to the message and God wanted to reach them and then they're, they're distracted by that? Or what if, I, what if I preach and I don't say the right words and then somebody doesn't take away what God wanted them to take today? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if? We all ask those sort of questions, right? And the question is, the question that we have to deal with as followers of Jesus Christ is, is what do we do with this? Your brain is wired for threat. My brain is wired for threat. There's these two almond-shaped pieces, almond-shaped pieces of your brain called the amygdala. And those are designed by God to be put there so that your brain can recognize threat. And you're wired to do that. I'm wired to do that. And it's really helpful when you're actually in a threatening situation. When you're in the middle of the road and you're walking and a car is coming very quickly and your brain tells you, you need to get out of the way or you're going to get hit. It's really helpful when that happens in your brain. But it's really unhelpful when you're not in a threatening situation and your brain tells you that you are. Some of you know that, that um, I have a little side gig where I do public speaking training for, for people. And we deal with this all the time. Because your brain is wired for threat. And it's really helpful when you're in the middle of the wilderness and there's a tiger that comes out of the bushes. But when you get up to speak in front of your coworkers and you're standing in the front of a room and you're about to give a presentation and your brain has the exact same reaction, like there's tigers coming out of the bushes. And instead of knowing that these are your coworkers who like you and want to hear from you, your brain is telling you these people are threatening, they're threatening, they're threatening. Then it's not helpful in that situation. It's helpful that our brains are aware of what could happen. That's a good thing. But it becomes a really unhelpful thing. When it starts to become a debilitating thing or it disrupts life because it's so overwhelming. That's where many of us find ourselves. Maybe not today, but sometimes. If you walk in today and you say, well, I'm not 
struggling with this. I'm not anxious like this. People around you are. The way our brain works, it, it reminds me a little bit about the way, uh, like the way our alarm system works in our house. So we have one of these new alarm systems that they require you to install now where everything's hardwired. It used to be when I was a kid, if one of those fire alarm things was acting up, you just ripped it out of the wall and, and threw it away and you went and got a different one. But now they're all connected together and it's not so simple anymore. And so one night we were at our house a couple of years ago and about 1.32 in the morning, our fire alarm, the whole thing throughout the entire house uh, starts going off. And these new smoke detectors, if you have one of these new smoke detectors, it doesn't just beep anymore. I mean, it's this incredibly awful tone. And then some voice was like, get out, get out. There's a fire, get out. And I didn't even know our smoke alarms did that. And so we woke up, I mean, out of deep sleep, just in a moment, we woke up and ran around the house, got the kids. I ran upstairs to like try to figure out if there's a fire. I don't know what's going on. And so uh, Lori and the three kids, it was cold that morning. So we, they sat in the car and we pulled out into the driveway with the heat on and I went through the house. There was no fire. And so I'm trying to figure out, I cannot for the life of me figure out how to shut these alarms off. And it's just over and over. I figure we're waking up the neighbors. Someone's just screaming at me at 1.30 in the morning, get out, get out. And I cannot for the life, I'm pulling batteries out, but I cannot figure out how to get this system to shut down. So I just called the number. I looked up the number of the fire department and I called them. And I was like, listen, it's not an emergency, but I, for the life of me, cannot figure out how to get this thing off. And they're like, no problem, we'll be there. And I'm like, it's not an emergency, but it was too late. And then they come flying down. Luckily, they didn't put their sirens on because that really would have woken up the whole neighborhood. And they came in and the guy finally, he knew which button to push and he shut the whole thing down. It's really helpful that we have a fire alarm system in our house. It's really unhelpful when it goes off like that at 1.30 in the morning and we have to bother the fire department for something that's not an emergency and our whole family has to sit outside in the car in the heat and then come in and try to fall back asleep. And that's exactly how I think our brain works sometimes. It's really helpful that our brain can perceive threat and act accordingly. But there's this tipping point where it becomes too much and overwhelming. And what do we do then is the question. Well, throughout this series, um, we're going to talk about what I think we should do when we're facing those sorts of moments where anxiety is crippling and it's overtaking things. Even when it's not truly debilitating, but even when you have those days at work where it's just too much, the to-do list is too long. And for some reason, everyone keeps emailing and everyone keeps messaging on Teams and everyone keeps trying to get a hold of you. And it's just too much. What do you do then? I discovered one treatment last weekend that you, you may want to try. Uh, and so I'll, I'll tell you about that. Uh, but before we get to that, I want you to take a look. Because when you walked in this morning, you should have gotten a card that looks something like this. And if you don't have one of these cards, you can raise your hand and our ushers will, will go ahead and bring you one. Don't look at the side with the verses. Instead, go to the back. Do you see this? On the left-hand side, it says, what I'm anxious about. 
I would like for you to take a moment. I'm going to give you time. I'm going to give you time. I would like for you to take a moment. This is just for you. I'm not, we're not handing these in. No one is sharing. You can hide this from your neighbor. But I'm going to give you a moment. When I talk about these things, where you become fearful over the unknown, or you become fearful of what you perceive as threat, what causes you anxiety? This is just for you. You heard those text messages people sent in. I'll give you a moment. Go ahead and write some of those things down. question is, what do you do about those things? How do you handle those things? And I'll invite you, even as we talk here, to keep, you can keep writing, but I did come up with one treatment last weekend that I found for the very first time that if you'd like to try, um, I'll, re I'll recommend it to you. And that is, so last weekend, Lori and I weren't here, and we got the chance to travel uh, to Iowa, which is everybody's dream, right? To go to Iowa for Labor Day weekend. It's hard to take it all in in 48 hours, but we tried our best. And so we traveled to Des Moines, Iowa, and we, that's where my sister lives and my brother-in-law live there. And I, I had shared before on a, on a Sunday that, that uh, last month um, they adopted, uh, I guess July, end of July, they adopted finally after four long years of, of this process, adopted two boys, uh, and, and welcome them into our family. And so our kids got to go and meet their new cousins, and, uh, and we got to go and meet our new nephews. And it was really an awesome weekend. Uh, we were there for three days, and we had a great time. So while we were there, uh, my sister said, asked, do we want to go to this, this local farm? They, got, they have things that you could do. And we said, sure. And so we went to the local farm, and here was the deal at the farm. We paid $8 to go to the farm. And in my head, I was picturing, you ever go to like Davis Farmland or Honey Pot Orchards and you're, you know, corn mazes and, and uh, I don't know, pick some apples or something. That's not what this farm was at all. This was a therapy goat farm. And we went and we paid $8 a person and they had three giant pens all filled with baby goats. There were 75 baby goats in total. And for hours, people come and they set up chairs and they lay down blankets and they cuddle the baby goats. It was the most Iowa thing I have ever seen in my entire life. And if you don't believe me, here's the photographic evidence that this is exactly what everyone was doing. There you go. 
There we are, cuddling goats, and anxiety is, is melting off our children. My kids did this for three hours. They loved every second of it. There was, it was, for Lori and I, it was the most anxiety-producing thing we've ever done with our kids. These goats are not, they're not potty trained. Like, I mean, we come from the Northeast where, where, you know, hand sanitizer is just always available. And here they are cuddling goats for three hours and everyone else is cuddling goats. And there's just, I mean, you can imagine what's all over the place, right? And yet they loved it. And people do this. There are blankets everywhere. Goats were climbing all over. Some people, my brother-in-law had goats all over him. Lori refused to touch the goats. You did pet them, yeah. So, my first suggestion is get yourself a therapy goat. But if you have a lack of therapy goat access, we'll talk about something else, all right? So those of you that have all, all plenty of therapy goats at your disposal, I mean, God bless you. But if you don't, uh, there's something else that I think you can do, especially as a follower of Jesus Christ, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ. We're going to be looking at the same verses over the next five weeks. And we're going to take a little bit of a different aspect of each ver of the verses each week to talk about what do we do. If you've been around church for a while, these verses might be familiar to you. And yet their impact is so important and valuable. We're going to encourage you to memorize these verses in the coming weeks. As we come back to this passage over and over again to commit these to heart, that's why we're giving it to you on the card. And so I'm going to ask you, if you would, you could read off the screen or read on the card. I'd like for us to read these verses together. So if you would join me, let's read these together. It's Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. Let's read this together. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I'm going to let you off easy this week, but I have a feeling you could have read that louder and with more energy. We'll practice that next week. This is the Apostle Paul writing. And the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to a church in an ancient city called Philippi and encouraging the Christians there. In fact, right before these verses, there's, there's two people within the church that are not getting along at all. And he's trying to help the church uh, get along and, and deal with their own anxiety together as a community. And he makes this phrase. He says this phrase. Do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. And that's such an easy thing for Paul to write, isn't it? 
do not be anxious about anything. And instead, he gives us right away the very first word of the passage is in the imperative form in the Greek. That means when you're writing it in English, it should end with an exclamation mark. That word there, rejoice, Paul says, exclamation point. Rejoice in the Lord is the first thing Paul says to do. And the question is, what does Paul mean? That word, that Greek word rejoice, it means exactly what you think it means. It means to celebrate. But here's what's different in the Greek context with how we usually play this out. When we think about rejoicing in the Lord, we think about maybe putting on some music at home, being by ourselves, reading the Bible, praying, but in this church context, context, that word rejoice is a communal thing. It's about the body together coming together, being as one and rejoicing in God's goodness and celebrating God's goodness together. And you might say to yourself, well, that's easy for Paul to say because Paul had a good life and my life is not good. But it's important to understand from where Paul is writing this letter to the church. Does anyone happen to know where Paul is as he writes this letter to the church? Paul's in prison. Nice job, seminary graduate. <laughs> but Paul is sitting in a Roman prison writing this letter to the church. I don't know how, you know... Uh, prisons go, but I'm guessing that in first century Rome, the realities of what it was like to be stuck in a Roman prison, it would be the last place that anyone would be and would say, uh, let's rejoice. Let's celebrate in God's goodness as he's there being beaten, as he's there in handcuffs, as he's there all alone. He is celebrating and rejoicing in God's goodness. So let's not, let's not write this off by saying, well, yeah, easy for Paul to say his life was great. His life was great, but not because of his circumstances. And Paul says to the church, he says, do not be anxious about anything. Instead, celebrate communally what is true about God. In fact, what I think Paul is saying to you and to me is that when what is unknown makes you anxious, celebrate what you know about God. When what is unknown makes you anxious, celebrate about what is known about, what you know about God. So what do we know about God? Well, there's a couple of things in this letter that I just want to point out. There's a lot more things that we could point out. But Paul in this letter says a few things. He said, even as I sit in this prison cell, even as I'm alone here in this place, I'm celebrating in the work of God. And I want you to know this morning, no matter where you are, no matter how anxious you feel, no matter how lonely you feel, if you can pause for a moment 
breathe deeply and look around, you will see God at work. This is what Paul says. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, what has happened to him, beaten, thrown in prison, has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And, and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul's saying, listen, even as I'm in this dungeon, even as I'm in this prison, God is still at work. God's still at work in your life as well. And Paul says that you can celebrate in the word of God because this book, this word of God is still living and active. And the true things that it says about God in this book are true for you today. In fact, he says to the church in Philippians chapter 2, he says, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. And how do you live this life that doesn't include grumbling? He says, hold fast to the word of life. This Bible that says God is in control, this Bible that says God is love, this Bible that says God is with you, it's true. Hold on to it. And this final thing that Paul says in the passage we're looking at, he says that God is with you. No matter where you go and no matter where you find yourself, he says the Lord is at hand in verse 5. God is with you. Many of you are familiar with Psalm 23. It's often read at funerals. The Lord is my shepherd, that psalm. There's one piece of that where David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear. Why? Because you're with me. And I want you to know no matter how hard and dark it gets, it does not mean that God has left you. We're going to talk over the next few weeks about different pieces of this passage and about anxiety in general. See, some of us are at a point where we just get anxious and worried about little things and we just need reminders of who God is and how he's at work and that he's with us and that will help get us through the day. Some of us in the room are at a place where not only do you need that, but you also need some help beyond that. I've been in a place in my life where I had to go and seek out the help, Christian counselor, and have those conversations. I am for that. But no matter where you are on that, on that spectrum, which we'll talk more about, I think Paul is saying to you and to me this morning that in those moments where that anxiety over what is unknown and what might come is too much to deal with, you ought to take a moment and celebrate what you know to be true about God. We 
don't have many thunderstorms, like big thunderstorms in Massachusetts, but every once in a while, some will roll through. And some will happen in the middle of the night or when our kids are trying to fall asleep. And the same thing happens every time. We have some younger kids, and, and when the thunder starts to roll and when the lightning uh, flashes through the sky, our kids will inevitably say either, can we sleep with you or will one of you come and just sit in our bed? And just the fact that our presence is there is enough to help them relax and be calm and rest. But here's the reality, right? Here's the reality. Lori and I, we have no control over that storm. I want you to be reminded today that the God who does have control over those storms, that the God who created this world, that the God who'd set it into place, that the God who created you, who is bigger than any problem that you are facing today, is with you. He's with you. And as you're worried about your children, He created them and loves them even more than you do. As you worry that there's just not going to be enough financial resources in your life, that God is the one who owns it all and has promised that he will provide you with everything that you need. That when you are lonely, God is the one who says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's the truth about who God is. I'm going to invite our worship team forward as we close this morning. And for a couple of minutes, our worship team is going to play. And I want you to take this card one more time. Take this card out one more time and look at that right-hand column. And I'm going to give you an opportunity here to remind yourself of who our God is. And where you've put on the left-hand side things that create anxiety, things that cause you to be anxious. I want to encourage you in the next couple of moments to write down some things about who God is and what he has to say about it. Think what Paul says to us. What can you celebrate about God this morning? As Paul says to us that when uncertainty creates anxiety, celebrate what is certain about your God. Celebrate what is certain about the God that you serve. What is certain about the God that you serve? That you can rejoice in this morning. What can you be sure about today? As we close this morning, I'll invite you, if you will, to keep riding or to just bow your head and close your eyes. And I wasn't going to do this, but I'm feeling like this, this is what God is, is asking me to do. I would love for a few of you just to shout out the thing that you're celebrating about God this morning. What are you celebrating about God? Not what you're anxious about, but what things about God and the truth that he is, are you rejoicing in and celebrating this morning?
Would a couple of you be willing to share? His faithfulness. Amen. Amen. God is a healer of broken hearts. His greatness answers prayers. Amen. Mm. His providence. Say that one more time. He keeps his promises. Amen. He has a plan. Makes you feel at peace. Absolutely a father to the fatherless. Amen. God, I thank you in all the uncertainty of this world and all the things that are out of our control. Lord, there's so much to do. There's so much that feels like is undone in our lives. And there's so much that we're aware of that's happening in our own backyard and around the world. God, it's overwhelming. But thank you that we can rest in you and rely on you. God, I pray for the person in the room this morning that is finding, or the person that's watching us online, that is finding the anxiety and the worries of this life to be crippling and debilitating and overwhelming at times. Lord, I pray that you would bring peace this morning, that the truth of who you are, the truth of your promises, the truth of how you're at work would bring true joy and peace. God, we celebrate you this morning. We thank you for who you are. We rejoice in who you are. We do it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with us and let's close out our time together in song.